This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Bill, shine sweet freedom. Shine your light on me. You are the magic. You're right where I want to be. Oh, sweet freedom, carry me along. We'll keep the spirit alive on and on. That's right, listeners. Today's movie is the 1986 action comedy Running Scared, starring Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal, directed by Peter Hyams. This movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 47 minutes. So what's this movie? Be starlight all night. Bill, I'm sorry. I had to cut you off, man. I can't get enough of that damn song. I still keep, I still call it cry sweet freedom. It's, it's not even shine sweet freedom, which is the correct lyric. It's just sweet freedom. Jason, I'm trying not to laugh, (laughs) but yeah, I could not get that song out of my head all day. Getting ready for this movie. How can you not smile and just be happy when you hear that in association, especially with this film? Anyway, Bill Bant, how are you tonight, man? Sorry for cutting you off. Uh, Don't worry about it. I am doing well. Thank you. So here we go. Moving along. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. What's on the box? Take it away, Jason. Gregory Hines from the film White Nights and Saturday Night Live's Billy Crystal star in the motion picture that asks the question, How come the bad guys always drive the good cars? The answer has them running scared in this lightning-paced comic thriller. Ray and Danny are the wild men of Windy City's police force whose unorthodox methods get results in a tough town until they come up against Julio Gonzalez, a smooth-talking drug dealer who is bucking to become Chicago's first Spanish godfather. Trying to nail Gonzalez... They blew a delicate undercover operation and are sent for a forced vacation in Key West where they discover the good life of warm weather and warmer women and decide to resign. As a parting shot, they resolve to put Gonzalez behind bars, but oh so carefully. Director Peter Hyams has spiced the fun with spine-tingling action, including a car chase down the tracks of Chicago's famous L, which ranks as a classic. With the dynamite screen team of Crystal and Hines and a soundtrack of hit songs, Running Scares simply marvelous entertainment. Yeah, so that was What's on the Box. Uh, let's move on to our earliest memories of the film. Jason, why don't you start us off? Earliest memories of this film. First and foremost, for me, again, I like to write 
my notes down for this segment before actually watching the film. Cause this, I, it's, it has to be well over 25 years since I've seen this film. And I have such fond memories of it as simply being a feel good movie. I have warm memories of this. It just warms my heart. And the first image that pops into my head is always of Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal roller skating in Key West in those short shorts in the eighties wardrobe. Shorty shorts. It's just, ah, you know, it's just, it's fun. It's, that's all it is. So that's my earliest image associated with this movie. I remember wanting to see this movie partly because of Gregory Hines. As a matter of fact, when I was between the ages of five and 12 years old, I was a dancer. My sister and I danced. We were part of a dance troupe, a dance group uh, called Dance Magic. We were from Kim Calla's dance studio. Shout out to Kim Calla in Antioch, Illinois. It was great. Uh, we enjoyed relative success in, in competitive dancing. And uh, I enjoy tap, if I may say so. That was kind of my strong suit in dancing. And thus, Gregory Hines was a hero of mine. I looked up to him. He's just a fantastic dancer and had a following, huge following in the dance community, but also then on film previous to Running Scared was the release of White Nights, which he co-starred in with Mikhail Baryshnikov. So I was anticipating his performance in this because he's, he's also a comedic genius, as it turns out. So earliest memories of this film all of the Key West scenes, that entire sequence of the film. And then I adore this film because of the Chicago aspect. Chicago. Uh, I grew up in Northwest suburbs. So any of any Chicago movies, I'm going to be a little partial to. And this is definitely one of those. It features the city during uh, that slushy cold winter, which for some weird reason now I'm very nostalgic about and I miss. I don't know why. I'm just, but you know, I see those scenes in this film and it brings me back, but I, those were, those are images I also have attached, you know, even before the rewatch, I think of the, the city scene in this film, the wisecracks, the chemistry between Heinz and Crystal, for sure. I, I remember his uh, pretty blonde ex-wife of Billy Crystal's character, Danny, the high rise action sequence at the end. Definitely. Always, that always, always stuck with me. I always thought that was such a great location for an action sequence. And uh, so that stuck with me over the years. Of course, the aforementioned uh, Sweet Freedom, the song by Michael McDonald. It's just part of this whole experience. I did not see this film in the theater. Uh, I did see it later when it was released on VHS. And yeah, it's always had a special place for me because it brings a smile to my face. What are your earliest memories or initial thoughts? First off, because in our first initial podcast, we've said we've known each other for 30 years. And this is the first time I ever heard about the dance stuff. And that's just amazing. It's just, <laughs> it's just crazy. You know, we've been friends for this long and I never knew anything about that. So I guess this is one of the great things about doing this podcast. We're, we're learning a little bit more about each other because you know, during the eighties, we didn't know each other. So now we're, we're getting all this background. Bill, do you ever really know anyone? That's yeah. true. Do we? No. But for me, my earliest memory of this movie is so summer of 86, I was going into high school and I remember mom worked for the city of Philadelphia. The city was going to go on strike and we were going to have to stay with my grandmother for the summer because my mom was going to cross the picket line. And in order for her to work, she was literally had to live at the 
facility she was working to stay out of danger. And before we left, I really wanted to go to the movies. And the movie I went to go see was Back to School. And this was the first right. movie I ever went to by myself because I wanted oh, to wow. go. Yeah. First movie I ever went to by myself. And I wanted to go. I didn't tell my parents I was going. I was telling them I was going to our local pool or whatever. I don't know why I had to lie about this. So I went to the movies and we sat down and they're showing the trailers and they showed the trailer for Running Scared. And of course, I'm super scared about going by myself because I'm like, oh, what if one of my friends sees me? And they're like, why am I not with someone? Oh, Isn't all these that things. interesting that back then at that age, that's what you thought about when you went to the movies by yourself as if there was a, there was a stigma attached to it? Because you'd either you'd be go, you should be going with your friends or or with a date. Exactly. But by yourself, it means you're lonely and you have no friends. Exactly. And that's what I was worried about. Which is went, so different today. I adore going to the movies by myself now. Oh, I would say now if I look over my lifetime, probably forty percent of the time I've gone by myself. Yeah. What's the big deal? You're, when you go with someone, you're not talking to them. You're sitting there and watching the movie. So why do you right. have someone with you? But eighth grade, going to high school. You don't want your reputation to be blown before you start. Right. So I went to an afternoon, you know, matinee, sat somewhere where I wasn't near anyone. So there's no chance anyone could see me. And they're showing the trailers and they show the trailer for Running Scared. And they show the clip in the film where they're in the undercover taxi and it's upside down on the garbage truck. Right. And they're having the argument. And Billy Crystal says a line, you, you still owe me 10 bucks and I never, I never said anything. And Gregory Hines comes back with, you want it now? And Billy Crystal says, yeah, I want it now. And I laughed so loud. It was, and I was the only one in the theater that did it. I don't know why I found that scene so funny. It was just, I guess, the way the circumstances were. I just found it so funny. And I freaked out because I'm like, oh, my God, I think everybody's looking at me because I lost it at that scene. Right. Um, but I, I wanted to see this movie so bad. But at that point, uh, by the time it was coming out, I was already staying at my grandmother's. I was hoping maybe it would still be out in the theater by the end of the summer because that's usually when we went on vacation and the strike was over with the city by then. And but the movie didn't do that great. Even it did well, okay, yeah. but it didn't, yeah, it wasn't out long enough for me to see it. So I did have to wait for it to come on video. But I was so rooting for this movie to do well. Right. Loved, loved, loved the Michael McDonald song. Couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. And I remember after seeing it, I was so waiting for a sequel to happen, and it never did. And I was so upset about it. It was just one of those movies. It was weird because. I never saw it, but I was still rooting. I wanted it to be a big hit, but I didn't know anything about it outside of just watching the trailer. It's just one of those things, you know, because we always talk about the box office in the podcast. And that was a big thing for me. I, every Tuesday, it would come in the paper and I would always want to see how it was. And I was like, all right, hell's running scared doing. And debut yeah. at number five. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to see this. So, right. yeah, I, I, had to, <laughs> I had to wait for it to come on video. Well, so, you yeah, know that's what, what really we, let's let's try to remember to talk about the sequel uh, in our final thoughts, the potential of sequel, should they make one? There was a sequel plan that was supposed to be called Still Running. Yeah, and they kept turning it down. Billy Crystal yeah, and Gregory yeah. Hines never liked the scripts. And unfortunately, Gregory Hines has passed since. But I still, you know, this might be something that I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel of if they did it right, you know, because I don't think we have any more good buddy cop comedies anymore, really, that are high quality anyway, but uh, that's just my opinion. We'll talk about that later. What I love about this movie 
is just the pairing of Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. Absolutely. hundred percent. And it's so amazing to think this was really Billy Crystal's, well, it was the second film that he did, but his first one, I don't think anyone has ever seen it. It was called Rabbit Test and it was directed by uh, Joan Rivers. It was about a man getting pregnant. And that probably came out a decade before this even came out. So everybody just knew him as the wisecracker on Saturday Night Live. Yep. And Gregory Hines is known, like you said in the beginning, known for his dance. Yeah, he's done. He did Deal of the Century and he did do History of the World Part 1. Which was his film debut. Correct. Right. The Mel Brooks film. Yeah. But he's not known for his comedic chops. And the chemistry of these two is brilliant. And what's even crazy about it, too, is it was the director, Peter Himes, who asked to have these two people in this movie. I'm like, how did he know to put these two together? You can't help but say that it must have been a stroke of genius on his behalf. Because taking the original story, which was supposed to be older New York cops that were going to retire, and then saying, no, I want middle-aged or younger cops in Chicago that decide not to retire. So he flips it on its head and then says, I'm going to cast the opposite of what you would expect. And he puts this pairing together. Stroke of genius. Because it works a thousand percent. Yeah, they're amazing together. And I think that's what upset me so much. that They never made a sequel because I really wanted to see what else they could do together. They're electric together. Their chemistry is electric. They play off each other. They rely upon each other. Their timing is impeccable. They listen to one another. They come off as real partners as if they have a history together. It works. Their relationship jumps off the screen. I think it's uh, you immediately identify and relate to them and believe them as partners. Yeah. And even the fact it's one of the really early movies where you had an African-American and a white right. Great point. partners together. And I know people are like, oh, 48 hours. But no, Eddie Murphy was a prisoner. Nick Nolte was a cop. Yeah, they were paired together, but they're not partners, partners together. Right. Right. It was groundbreaking in a way that we didn't realize. The only other movie I, I could think of, but they were did not like being together as partners, was... Um, in the heat of the night. And then, of course, after this, we have Lethal Weapon. Oh, yeah, exactly. You put Danny Glover and Mel Gibson together, which then just becomes the gold standard. But the other big thing in this film was it was the film debut of Jimmy Smith's. When thinking about this, has anyone had a better television career than Jimmy Smith's? That's a fantastic question. He's been killing it for how many decades? L.A. Law, NYPD Blue. The West Wing, Dexter, Sons of Anarchy, but his TV debut on one of the greatest 80s television shows of all time, Sonny Crockett's original partner for about five minutes, Eddie Rivera in Miami Vice. I can't believe you beat me to the punch. Not on this particular actor. There's another actor in this film who played two different characters in two different episodes of Miami Vice. Oh, Nice. And that's Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya, who plays the police captain in this film, uh, was in two different Miami Vice episodes. Yes. I had almost forgot that Jimmy Smith was Sonny Crockett's original partner. That's absolutely right. And he's great in that. I'm a, I'm a Jimmy Smith's fan. I'm yes. smitten about Smith's. And then I was thinking, like, oh, man, I would love to have seen him maybe a season as Crockett's partner, or at least do a oh, flashback sure. episode with him as the partner. 
Oh, that would have been awesome. And he was well cast that role. I always remember that. I mean, he's so vibrant and, you know, it's obviously tragic how he meets his end in that, you know, pilot episode, but he has a presence. He has an energy about him. And you see it even in this as uh, the, the drug lord Julio Gonzalez in this film, Running Scared. And Jimmy Smith is just, he, I, he's, you have to be I'm obviously well-respected in the community, in the entertainment community as an actor. He must be great to work with. You just have to assume that since he's just, he's continued to work on these major, major shows. And uh, even Sons of Anarchy, he was great on that. And he still looks phenomenal. Looks oh, yeah. great. Yeah, he does. The guy doesn't age. Mm-hmm. And or he's aged well, you know. Yeah, and, and I thought he did a really good job in, in the movie. But watching that, I wouldn't think he would have the career that he does. Yeah, I don't think this role particularly calls for so much or is it going to show his range necessarily. But, I mean, he does his job in this film. I think he's he's good. Yeah, but sometimes you you know you, you'll watch someone in an early role and you'll just see that they have something kind of. Not saying that Jimmy yeah. Smith doesn't, but no, you would they, yeah, see they just that jump he off was the screen immediately. There's something right. about yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like yeah. for me, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of those actors. Like I remember seeing Twister, and he just has such a bit supporting role in that. I'm like, that guy's electric. I don't know what there is. Some there's something about that guy. Mm-hmm. He just has a way of. It, well, I don't know if it was his cadence, his way of speaking, his delivery, his look, whatever it was, he was a character. And it just, I was like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that guy in more, more things. Yeah. But yeah, I did like his dynamic with uh, Crystal and Hines in this. And like I said, he has to go down as one of the best television actors of all, all time. And Agreed. I don't know why people he's a very likable actor in my opinion. Yeah, and and he's one of those. He's he's almost a show saver too. You think about it too, because I don't think he initially starred in L.A. Law or NYPD Blue. I don't think mm-hmm. any of these shows. He kind of comes in. He's he's the opposite of Tim McGinley. Like if Tim McGinley comes onto your TV show, you know your show is going to be canceled within two years. Whereas if you get you know, if, you're, if you get the call like, hey, we just signed Jimmy Smith, you're like, sweet, I got I got work for another five seasons at least. <laughs> he's the good luck charm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, anything else we want to talk about from uh, Running Scared? Initial thoughts or anything like that? I don't think so. I think we can keep it moving. All right. Then let's move on to favorite scenes. Or what do you like to call them, Jason? I call them scenes that blew my skirt up. I only have three. Then you go first. Okay. My first scene, the scene that blew my skirt up, is the police lineup. I love the scene. It's brief, but I laughed out loud upon rewatch and in this sequence. Now in this story, we have our buddy cops. We have Billy Crystal as uh, is it Danny Costanza and we have Ray Hughes. That's the character name of Gregory Hines's character. So we have Ray Hughes and Danny Costanza are the buddy cops and they have arrested Another wonderful actor, Joe Pantoliano, his character's name is uh, Snake. And they've arrested Snake uh, because he is an associate of Julio Gonzalez's. So they have Snake, who's a bit of a weasel. He's a lowlife, uh, career criminal, and again, associate of Julio Gonzalez and does drug deals for him, etc. At least that much is assumed. He has a briefcase of $50,000 when they arrest him and they take the briefcase from him. And he is at the police precinct uh, under lock and key. 
And they, as a joke on him, a police lineup to identify the perp, if you will. And when the lineup comes out, there's five of them in total. Four of them are police officers in uniform. And then there's Snake at the very end, just in his rags, that being Joe Pantoliano. And he knows it. He's looking at the cops in the lineup and he's just like throwing his hands up in the air. Like, what are you, what is this? What are you doing? This is ridiculous. And Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal are behind the mirror looking through the, you know, the one-way class and looking at the lineup and Gregory Hines says, okay, everyone, please turn to your right. And Billy Crystal himself turns to his right. He's like, no, not you. Like, it's just, it's very funny. I find that scene endearing for some reason. It's just charming. And then they, tell snake basically hey you know what we don't really have anything on you you know where they try to make a deal with them saying hey we need you to give up gonzalez or we're going to put you away for a long time but he says you don't have anything on me i didn't really commit a crime whatever it was and they're like okay we'll just we'll just let you go and uh snake then kind of gives them a look at the end of that scene as if wait what do they have up their sleeve they're this they can't actually be letting me go just letting me free Anyway, I like the police lineup scene. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, Joe Pantone. I love him in this movie. I, I think that's He's the great. movie I became a fan. Yeah. Snake bite. Every time I see him, that's the first thing that pops in my head. Snake bite. Um, but yeah, there's a scene in the film that makes me laugh every time I see it is the scene where they go to see the jumper and they lock mm-hmm. Snake in the car. And then they do the shot and snakes on the on the CV radio and he's like calling on cars, calling on cars, UFO. And you right. see that fake punch come in to knock him out billy crystal punches him in the face that (laughs) makes me laugh every time because that punch is so bad but it works i laugh every time i see it's a great sound effect exactly (laughs) that makes me laugh. police brutality at its finest exactly so it's kind of weird so my favorite scene which watching this again kind of uncomfortable now Mm -hmm. is the scene when they come back from the keys and they go to track down um, Julio Gonzalez and they find out he's at this apartment with the mistress <laughs> and they're tracking him down. They're running through the building and he gets the hostage. Right. And of course, Julio had to run out of the apartment with no pants and he's yelling up at Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines to throw down a pair of pants and their whole thing. They're arguing like, I would rather get shot. They give up right. my pants. And it's a funny scene because now you see how they've decided they're going to retire. They're getting a little extra cautious and now they're bantering back and forth about getting the pants. And it's a funny scene, but now watching this time, I'm thinking that poor lady, that poor lady's a hot, they're going to get that lady killed because they're too busy arguing about throwing their their pants. And then even when they give him the pants and he runs out with them and he literally drops her in the street. Yeah. And runs off with their car, which I can't believe they left the keys in the car. And then they run right by her. No regard to even check on her if she's okay. <laughs> the hostage gets the short end of the stick. Exactly. That scene. Yeah. That made that me really uncomfortable then. I was like, this is such horrible police procedure. It was one of those. It used to be my favorite scene. Now watching them kind of like, uh, that's not good. They really should be concerned about that woman and not fight about throwing down their pants. I mean, it's funny. We'll talk about whether or not Danny and Ray are really good cops at all. 
because oh, they yeah. like to get into little banter, which just wastes time while yes. they're supposed to be pursuing criminals or engaging a criminal, like in this sequence with Julio Gonzalez, who has a hostage at gunpoint with an Uzi submachine gun at her head, and also he's shooting at them, and they decide to get into an argument about not wanting to throw their pants down to Julio. They'd rather get shot instead. Meanwhile, this poor woman is not only being held at gunpoint, but being held at gunpoint by a a scantily clad Jimmy Smith, who is in red tidy whities, little red briefs. Yes. He's smuggling grapes in these little red briefs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're tidy, tidy readies. Yeah, they're tidy tidies. All right. Mm. (laughs) What do you got? So you just reminded me of another scene that I had not written down. And I'm going to bring it up briefly here is that they've been trying to track down Julio Gonzalez of various different ways. And they find out that he owns a particular, well, actually they find out in the scene that he owns this hotel, but they go to this hotel, they knock on the door and there's a woman, an older woman that answers. And there's a little kid who is like hiding behind her as she is just telling the cops that being, Ray and Danny that they got to they have to leave that to leave and find and this little kid who's standing behind the older woman keeps flipping off Gregory Hines and Gregory Hines is just not he's trying to he's putting up with it putting up with it he won't he won't engage this little kid this is while Danny is engaging the woman in a conversation trying to convince her she's got to give up the location of Julio Gonzalez which she won't do it until of course it's the classic because I believe she's Latino or and uh, Danny's like, well, we'll just have you deported. And then she gives him up. But the whole time, this little kid keeps flipping off, not just flipping the bird, but like in various different creative ways, like sneaking around this old woman and flipping off Gregory Hines, who's standing in the background. And then when they decide to leave, Gregory Hines says, hold on, wait a second, knocks on the door. The old lady opens the door, you think, but it's not the old lady's little kid. And Gregory Hines just kneels down and fl- gives him the double bird, the kid, and just is like, yes. And <laughs> Jason, you just nailed my favorite scene. Oh, it's okay. That's why it's you're okay. shaking your head this entire time. No, I, I, I love it. Like- I love it. It makes me laugh every time. And the, and the thing is, I remember the first time watching it because I was laughing so hard at the kid. I had yeah. no idea what Billy Crystal and that woman were talking about. I had to rewind it and go back because I was just laughing at the kid. He's giving up the finger and he's doing like the roller coaster up and down kind of thing to yeah. him. Yeah. I had no idea what the conversation was, Billy Crystal and that woman. I had to rewind and watch again. Gregory Hines, it just gets down eye level with him, gives him the double middle finger and screams. I lose it every time. It is one I, of yeah. the funniest. I mean, I've seen this movie 20 every times. Time. And I laugh yeah. every time. This is the funniest thing ever. It's just the way he does it and the way he yells, yes. The whole movie is just worth that one moment, if nothing else. Because you know, any adult watching this has always wanted to do that to some kid that's driving right. nuts. And yeah. there it is on screen for you to live vicariously through. Uh, this kid is literally flipping him off the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. And he's basically biting his tongue and then he just can't deal with it anymore. Great. <laughs> Yeah, this is great because it's just the yes. about to walk away. He just does the pause, like, yeah, hold, hold on, I gotta take care of something. Right. right. The fact that just, like what the woman it? goes what back into the apartment, closes the door. Uh-huh. And <laughs> he goes, he goes in. 
Yeah. God, love that scene. Knocks on the door and the little kid answers and then gives him the double bird. Oh, love it. Yeah. Um, Other scenes that blew my skirt up. uh, All the Key West scenes. This is basically one giant scene. It's kind of a montage. It just warms my heart. Uh, I love Key West personally. I've had actually my best and worst vacations, I think, there. I still, but I still love Key West overall. And um, I would have to say that's probably my entire, my favorite scene, actually, my favorite sequence, just because they, it's kind of like this thing, Bill, where it's, you see this in movies. It's, it's a common, it's a trope in buddy cop movies. There's often like, you know, one of them is just about to retire. They talk about retirement. We're close to retirement. We're just going to do this one last job, or we just got to get, you know, we got to solve this case. And then, we will ride off into the sunset, basically. So that's an often told story. And in this case, it happens like not even about halfway through the movie where it's kind of like, yeah, they, they're done. They get to go live a fantasy life in Key West. It's, they're so close to being happy and they're alive in, in this wonderful place where it's just beer and women and the sun and the ocean and beaches and all the good stuff. And, they're so happy in those sequences. And by the way, they do very well with the ladies. Oh yeah, they do. Oh, like, yeah, that's what, great. that's something I want to ask. Yeah. Danny is married in this movie to Anna, who is played by uh, Darlan Flugel, who's more of. Right. Well, they're getting a divorce. Yeah. Or they've been they're They're divorced. right. I, I was like, right. do they ever sign papers? I mean, yeah, I know mm-hmm. he finds out that she's going to get remarried and they just say, I think they just said at the funeral that they're just separated. And I was like, they say that for the sake of the other aunt that's present. Yes. I don't know. It's very, it's a little hazy as to whether they've actually gotten divorced or if they're separated. I don't know. Yeah. And I was just like, man, Danny is just new girl every night kind of thing. Jeez. Oh yeah. He's not wasting any time. No, not at all. Although we understand through that one of the through lines in the film is that he's still very much in love with her. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I, I kind of felt bad for her watching it this time. It's like she came in and all he does is throw insults at her. So I was like, ah, oh, didn't really give her a lot. No, they didn't give her enough, but she's not in it enough. But uh, I do adore all the Key West scenes, especially when they're on roller skates and the wardrobe changes what they're wearing in the entire scene. When they're fishing, it's just, it's priceless. Anyway, uh, and then the other scene that blew my skirt up was the Scene you actually uh, brought up earlier when you were watching, it's in that trailer. Because I love that sequence when they are kind of on a stakeout. Well, they are a stakeout in their new undercover vehicle, which is a taxi cab. And the garbage truck comes up to the taxi cab and grabs the cab, lifts it up into the air and over and dumps it into the receptacle of the, the truck. And then it turns into a trash compactor. It's, you know, it's, it's a kind of a fun sequence. And then again, like you had mentioned in the trailer, there's a lot of fun banter that happens in the cab. That's a great scene. But uh, but my favorite scene probably still is, is all the Key West stuff. And by the way, I love the, I forgot about this, but the transition from when they decide, when uh, their captain oh, yes. basically tells them it's a forced vacation and you see them go to a bar and you're like, you, you believe they're still in Chicago. Yes. And they're sitting at the bar having drinks. And then when they, they're like, oh, this place is depressing. They get up and they walk outside and they're already in Key West. Yeah, that was really clever. I really like that. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great transition. Those are my uh, favorite scenes. All right, uh, let's move on to the soundtrack. And 
as Jason was singing earlier in our podcast. The, uh, the Michael McDonald, Sweet Freedom, You Can't Separate One Without the Other. This was surprising to me when I was doing the research for this. I thought for sure this song had hit number one. Oh, yeah. This song didn't even crack the top five. Oh, really? Yeah, the highest it charted on the uh, Billboard 100 was number seven. And when it hit number seven, the number one song well, at that time. Shame. I know, it is. They should go back and re-rank. Yeah, retroactively fix that. Exactly. Yeah, so when this hit its highest on the charts, the number one song at the time was Steve Winwood's Higher Love, which is a good song. But it's no, it's no sweet freedom. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was nominated for a, a Golden Globe. Sweet freedom was for be, like best song. Yeah, best original. Oh no, kidding. And uh, the writer of the song was uh, Rod Temperton, who wrote five of the songs for the film and composed the film's music. The key one being the L Chase music, which I love. I love. I love that piece of music. And it's mm-hmm. kind of funny because neither of us mentioned that in our favorite scenes as the L Chase. Which was unique. We'll get to that. Okay. It is. There, I, let me just say, there, there are parts of it I did like. Let's just put it that way. All right. We'll get into it later. But an interesting note on Rod Temperton is probably best known, or maybe not known, for writing one of the biggest hits of the 80s, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Wait, what? Yeah. He wrote Michael Jackson's Thriller and was produced by Quincy Jones. But yeah, he was the writer on that song. He, no kidding. I know that I couldn't believe that either. How about that? That is that's like the number one fun fact. Um, but yeah, he unfortunately passed away uh, back in 2016. Rod Temperton. Well, shout out to Rod Temperton. That's amazing. And yes, he did put together the music for this film. Uh, it did have a somewhat popular soundtrack. Obviously, we talked about Sweet Freedom. I also want to give a, a shout out to the first track. That was on the soundtrack album, which is entitled Man Size Love yep. by the recording artist Climax. And that's spelled K-L-Y-M-A-X-X. I also want to give a shout out to Rod Temperton once again, because I got to give him credit for one of the best band names of all time. He did have two tracks or his band had two tracks on the soundtrack. His band being called the Rod Temperton Beat Wagon, the Rod Temperton Beat wagon. They put out some good beats. The L Chase music is pretty good. I do like it a lot. I still have that soundtrack on cassette. So that is that is the truth. I do have one. Uh, you have the running scared soundtrack. On yes. Tape. On tape. And it's funny too, because I was watching the credits. It does say available on cassette, whatever. And I'm like, I still got the cassette. <laughs> it's so proud. <laughs> yep, I am. You should be. I am. I have a yeah, small cassette collection still somewhere. Yeah, I got about uh, maybe like 20 left of all yeah. the ones I used to have. Crazy. Yeah. Do you remember the very first cassette you ever bought? Yes, it was uh, Van Halen's uh, OU812. Oh, nice. Yep. I like that album. Yeah, that was my first cassette. Because what I used to do, which was kind of stupid, but I thought it was brilliant because I was saving money, I would still buy on vinyl. And then I would tape it onto a cassette. So then I would have a, the vinyl and oh, sure. a cassette copy. And yeah. then I realized the quality's not as great. And then I finally was like, no, just buy the cassettes, even though right. cassettes were just as bad, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, you ate one too. 
Yep. I think I actually had it on C. But yeah, my first cassette I ever owned was a soundtrack. It was a compilation of orchestral film music and mostly being John Williams. And it had uh, themes from Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It was great. I like wore that thing down. And I believe I still have it. I've always kept that. That was the first cassette I ever had. Anyway, great music in this film. Yes. Man-sized love. Man-sized love. Yep. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, why don't we move on to our next segment, which is our Swiss cheese segment. And Jason, why do we call it our Swiss cheese segment? We call it that because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. So in this segment, we like to kind of point out some of the lesser aspects of the film. Uh, some of the holes in the film, uh, it also entails or, or encapsulates some of the just major issues we had with the film. I guess I'll go first on this one because this is a quick two-parter. So after the funeral, um, they're going back to the car and it's the, are, are you robbing us scene where the two hoodlums try to stick up Danny and Ray and then they run off and they get in the car. Watch the scene again. So when the car does the turnaround and comes mm-hmm. back at them and Billy and Gregory start shooting at the car and there's a shot where the car supposedly hits the side of the wall and all mm-hmm. these sparks start shooting everywhere. The car misses the side of the wall by a good three feet. It is super obvious. It's just FX going off. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. then it also like hits a snowbank too. Right. Top yeah. Of it, right. But it does like kind of crash into the wall first, supposedly. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't at all. And then they argue. Then they have the, the funny argument about, you know, they're, they're shooting. He's like, I hit the windshield six times. Right. Which well, becomes if, a running theme. Yeah. Right. But if you count the bullet holes in the windshield. He only hit five times. Just, it's just kind of funny. That whole thug. I, I wrote it down. I said the whole thug scene is a mess. <laughs> oh, really? It is funny though. It's an amusing scene. It's entertaining. There it has a lot of comedy in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the banter between Ray and Danny is very funny when they're being accosted by the two punks in the alley. Meanwhile, Ray and Danny have Snake in custody. Yes. Ray is handcuffed to him. So these thugs, these punks approach them in the alleyway at gunpoint. One of them, which I'm always, I always, and I remember this too. And I saw this, I'm paying attention to it this time around. I'm going, what the hell kind of gun does this one thug have? I don't think it's a gun. And it's not. That's the whole point is that he just like put it together. It's like a piece of wood with something taped like on it with a rubber band. And it's really funny. And the other Punk has a 22, like a little pea shooter, which is very funny. But the whole thing is a mess because once the thugs then run off after you have this witty banter between Ray and Danny, then Ray and Danny like take their time and have a little more witty banter <clears throat> as the punks have like are getting yeah. away. They're getting away. And they're loading their guns. And they're just like talking to each other, loading their guns. They're like, oh, you ready to go arrest him? Uh, and like, yeah. And then they run after him. So I get it. It's a comedy, right? 
they're playing up the comedy, but come on. And then they decide to go after them. They're getting away in their car, but then they have to turn around and the car comes back toward them and they decide to just start shooting at the windshield. Oh yeah. And then that water that comes from nowhere. Oh, and then, yeah. They're just standing it in the middle of December. Yeah. A little cold. You know, they'd be frozen. They'd be icicles. Yes. I just know how cold it is in Chicago. And I'm just going to give a general warning to people though. It's called the Windy City for a couple of different reasons. One of them being that, of course, the the wind coming off the lake. But in the winter, if you go to the city in the winter, bring layers. It's a different kind of cold. Anyone that lives in the Midwest, East Coast, there's a lot of different kinds of cold out there. Chicago has a very specific kind of cold. It's a kind of biting cold that will go through your body, through your bones, and into your soul. It is truly chilling. And it is harmful. It is dangerous. And that's why I warn people, you have to bring layers. And when I saw the water spraying all over them and they're all, they're soaking wet, I'm going, they must've been freezing. And that's not healthy. In the Keys, you can wear the shorty shorts. Chicago, got to wear the layers. So it's good. This is good. So my next, a little bit of Swiss cheese. Would you sleep with a guy who just had your boyfriend arrested? I thought you were just going to stop at, would you sleep with a guy? No, no, there, there was, there was a little more to that. that <laughs> I have issues with that. And then there's another similar scene toward the end, or maybe that's, oh, sorry. That's the, I think that's the actual scene you're talking about because Ray is having an affair with this woman who's in another relationship. And the only way he can get close to her is by using his authority as a police officer. And he does once earlier by taking her in for obscene amount of parking tickets is what he tells the boyfriends. That's why he has to take her, uh, has to arrest her. Right. And that's how he's going to get to be alone with her. Yeah. That scene was fine. I thought that scene was kind of well Because he's arresting her and she's in on it. Exactly. So that's okay. That's kind of funny. Like he's taking advantage of his position as a cop, but still she knows what's going on. And yeah, the boyfriend's oblivious, whatever. Is it legal? Of course not, but it's still, we're going with it. But later on, he then, in order to get one-on-one time with her, has the boyfriend arrested. That's not. That's a, that's a red flag. I would think that's a red flag. Yeah. And you're right. If you were the woman in that scenario, we'd be like, wait, you just are taking advantage of the law. You're breaking the law. And this poor son of a bitch, my boyfriend, is now thinking he's in real trouble. These undercover cops have just drug him into a, a busted up Camaro or Trans Am, whatever that car was they're driving. <laughs> exactly. so what that, you know, these two like ruffian types yes. with beards in, you know, who the hell are these guys that call themselves cops? It was, you know, very strange. I'm like, wait a minute. He just had the guy arrested and it's supposed to be funny. And she's just going to go along with him. And guess what song is playing? Was that Man Size Love? Man Size Love. Yes. By the recording artist Climax. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a good callback. That's a good callback. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got for Swiss cheese? I'm going to start with the cheesy, cheesy synth theme song. Ah, the film just opens with synthesizer. And then you immediately know this is going to be a kick-ass 80s movie. And the theme song has to have the lyrics, you know, running scared in it. So I'm just like, this is going to be awesome. We see this, the, the kind of dreary but cool skyline of Chicago. 
and that song kicks in and I'm just like, Oh, this is so bad. It's good. It's awful. And like the, you know, part of the course is there's no more running scared. And I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. But it works in its own way. Yeah. Totally borrows from Beverly Hills cop. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what were they doing in the ghetto neighborhood in the first place? Yes. I wrote this down because we are introduced to Ray and Danny as they're sitting around like a trash can fire and drinking some fake booze out of a bag. And then all of a sudden there's a pickup basketball game happening behind them. And crystal just decides to butt in to the game. Oh, these guys are like yelling at him and like, what? That takes some balls, man. Crystal's not a big dude. And these guys are big guys all playing basketball in jeans, by the way. Yes. Uh, And he then just interrupts the game and then tries to get Ray, his partner involved. So he drags him into it. And then all of a sudden, just by random chance, the Mercedes pulls up with Julio Gonzalez, whom they were not expecting to see, whom they had previously busted, I guess, three years prior to this. And they're like, oh, we recognize this drug dealer who just got out of a Mercedes in this random lower income neighborhood who is with his associate snake. And it just, there was a randomness to the scene. I'm like, why were they there in the first place? They, they weren't, they clearly weren't expecting Julio, but then Julio takes off of the Mercedes and then they go and apprehend snake. But anyway, that was kind of a weird introductory scene to our protagonists. I just yeah, I would agree with that. And Billy Crystal pretty much got lucky with just the one punch. Yeah, he does get punched by one of the basketball players, and then he deserved it. He should have been stomped on. He does on. get his comeuppance. He, he probably would have been stomped on as soon as he touched the basketball, if he even got his hands on the bat. He wouldn't have even gotten that far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about taking a criminal to a funeral with the handcuffs on? So they decide to pull over in an alley and uh, attend Aunt Rose's funeral. This is Danny's Aunt Rose. And they actually bring Snake with them in handcuffs while he's handcuffed to Ray. I don't know if that's appropriate or not. I would think Danny could stop in by himself. Did they all? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they were so close. I'm sure um, Ray really knew Aunt Rose, too. So he he needed to go. But, yeah, maybe I would have locked him in the car. Good point. But I, I think I couldn't get over all the foam snow. That always mm-hmm. drives me nuts. Right. <laughs> but it did give us some funny bits with the, with the priest doing the intros. And then he tries to shake Snake's hand and he's handcuffed. There was like, yeah. some good physical comedy in that with the handcuffs. Now, okay, so here's a, a, a major issue I had. I personally am from a small suburb northwest of Chicago and even though I'm not from the city, I do consider myself a North Sider. I am for sure a Chicago Cubs baseball fan. Notice how I said Cubs, Chicago Cubs fan. When I refer to the Cubs team or the baseball game, I always say Cubs because that's whom, who they are, the team. So Billy Crystal, who's supposed to be a Chicago native and clearly a Cubs fan, twice in the film, he mentions the team and says Cub instead of Cubs. And so clearly Billy Crystal is not from Chicago. Uh, He mentions once he gets the estate money from uh, his aunt, he says, yeah, I'll finally get good seats for the Cub games. 
Uh, he then once uh, one of the undercover cops that he's supposed to be now a trainee and that scene, he's playing with the ball that's on uh, the baseball that's on Danny's desk. And Danny says, Hey, you know, that's my cub ball. And I'm like, no, oh. no, 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 you don't say that. That's just, I, I'm not saying it's like this major thing and I'm not that pissed off about it. No, but I'm yeah, not, if you're someone from Chicago, that makes weird. sense. It just sounded weird for me. It's like my cub ball. What are you talking about? You mean your Cubs ball? I mean, good seats for the Cubs games. It's just, you know, come on. No, that's good. The I Cubs, like that one. They're not a Cub, a Cub. They're the Cubs. See, I never would have caught that because I'm not from Chicago. I just, I could be wrong. Please tweet, email. I've never heard any Chicago Cubs fan refer to them as like, a, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go check out the Cub game. You see what I'm saying now? Oh, yeah. How that sounds weird? Yeah. It's a Cubs game. Weird because I think. Peter Hyams had spent some time in Chicago. He should have caught that and said, Whoa, mm-hmm. Billy, we're going to do another take. Cubs. Cubs. There's an oh, S at the end. It just really stood out for me. Did you have any other holes? Oh, we got a big I've one. Got, I've got a bunch more, but I'm trying right. to get through this. No, I got a real big one. So if you want to keep going, go ahead. Because mine's the whole ending scene. And there's like multitude of stuff. Yeah, maybe we'll just get right to that. I always, I, I thought it was funny. We talked about the sequence where uh, Jimmy Smith's character, Julio Gonzalez, has both Danny and Ray throw their pants down to him. Yes. Which I was like, why would you even have Danny bother throwing his pants on? They're never going to fit him. Jimmy Smith is like 6'2", six, six, maybe 6'3", six, 6'4", six, six, maybe. Billy Crystal's, I think, 5'7". Maybe similar ways. <laughs> you, just want, you just want to be covered. Yeah, they could be like shorts. On yeah. yeah. Very tight-fitting shorts. Yep. Do we want to talk about the, we'll get to that fast, the car chase on the L? Yeah, sure. What do you got? So it's a fun sequence, a good idea for an action sequence, because this is set up as where you have, and there's a lot of comedic stuff going on here. So you have Danny and Ray in their undercover taxi cab with a priest and a nun in the backseat whom they think are criminals, but they're actually innocent. And they're chasing Julio Gonzalez and his black Cadillac. And they end up on the train tracks, which is in, it's a raised railway in Chicago, very famous, known as the L, meaning E-L, that's spelled E-L as an L, as in short for elevated. And good idea, but it's just not practical. And we see these two cars on these train tracks, and it's a lot of POV shots, like as if you were on the hood of the car, which would be, it's more as if you were a train going down the tracks, not a car. And also the film is very obviously sped up to make it look like they're going faster than they are. And you can see this because when there are medium to master shots or whatever of the car and you see the actors inside the car, they're shaking back and forth like violently because this film is sped up uh, mm-hmm. to make it look like they're going fast. And it's, it's a bit cheesy. So it's a great idea for an action sequence and a car chase on a, on train tracks, but it doesn't work because of it's just dated now. It probably worked a lot better back then from our perspective at that time, just not now. Yeah, I think watching it the first time, I appreciate it more, but then watching it now, yeah, you see a lot of flaws with it. You realize the cars wouldn't have made it two blocks before the suspension dropped or something. There's a lot of shots that they could have had and they didn't use. Mm-hmm. It's still an okay scene. It's really one yeah, of the first sorry. movies you do see. Well, you like the music. 
yeah i like i do like the music to it so that's what kind of keeps me going and, and just some of the banter because it's just funny knowing the way they're talking to the priest and the nun as criminals and they're really a priest and a nun is funny and the yeah. fact that billy crystal is the one that does all the yelling at them basically and then when they have to go and apologize it's gregory hines that does all the apologizing right it's very funny and then the nun whips out the ruler it's that, just great. Yeah. yeah the stereotype ruler and just slaps like she just had it handy yeah it's just it, it but it, for some reason it just works it, uh it's funny that you you mentioned the car suspensions that would have dropped you know and that's one of the fun facts i'll jump ahead real quick is that the suspension systems of three chevy impalas were destroyed filming the l train tracks chasing definitely not surprised so yeah why don't you go on to the the final action sequence all right so the final scene in the movie so julio Cazales supposed to get this big shipment of coke that was supposed to be brought in by the priest and the nun danny and ray figure it out now they have all the coke julio wants it back so of course he abducts danny's wife Anne, and says he will swap the coke for the wife and they're going to do it in a public place at was it the state building was that that is correct. Yes, the state building. So this is going to be the final action scene. Um, Danny and Ray are going to go in, the final confrontation. They're going to save the wife and somehow get Julio. Okay, fine. We're good with that. Then things start falling apart. Right. <laughs> Almost immediately. Almost immediately. Exactly. So Danny's supposed to go in by himself into the building. And, of course, you know, in the back of their mind, they're like, why do they want to do it in a public place that's crawling with cops? They don't get it. Ray's going to get in there another way. And he comes across one of the state troopers and finds out it is one of Julio's snitches. Right. So the snitch takes him to where all the other state troopers are. And they're all locked in a room together in uh, their underwear. So we find out all the state troopers that are in this building right now are all Julio's men. So Danny is walking into a trap. Correct. That is the last time we see the state troopers. So. Oh, yeah. So did Ray leave? The state troopers in the locked room? I assumed that he did. He couldn't get the state troopers to maybe help or oh, yeah, that would find help <laughs> to get some sort of backup? Because yeah, at this point, this point he's already he's already in trouble. But he's we all know he's walking to a trap. You need to get as much help as possible. Mm-hmm. They must have guns because all the Julio's men still have all the Uzis. So where, right. where are the weapons? Get the hands on their weapons. And help out. First problem. So now the second problem is Ray's got to find a way into the building to help Danny out. State troopers tell him who's still locked in the cage. Right. The window washing system. So now Ray somehow. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because there's so much going on. I wish our listeners could see you right now, Bill, because I can see the scene playing out in your mind right now. And you're still just trying to comprehend what the fuck is going on in this scene right i think it's just hilarious because now all i can think of is ray just not helping those poor troopers who are still all like tied up and stuff at at all so yes so the only way he can get is through the using the window washing system right the window washing system which is not even hooked up to the building at this point so somehow ray has to string it up and pull himself up 17 stories, five story. It doesn't matter in a span of 
And like we went over, if anybody listened to our previous podcast about risky business, you know, when it comes to time management and films, it drives me nuts. This drives me nuts too. It would take me all night just to get the window washer thing up so I could climb up it, let alone having the strength to pull myself up the side of the building. There was that one gorgeous shot of though of him on the side of the building. That was awesome. First of all, the location is magical. Like that's oh yeah, it's a great location. I just love like when you and myself and Marwan will be walking around random place and we can look at a building. You walk into a place like that and all all immediately like oh. This is tailor made for an action sequence, and you start choreographing like a fight scene, and that's the type of building. Like we'd walk in and go, okay, yeah, this is okay. This is where the shootout happens, and this is you'd have guys up here, over here. I'll do a dive roll behind the Christmas tree over here. I'll do a rigs roll here, but uh, so there is a great shot of Ray up there on the window. But I agree. First of all, when the in the deputies or the uh, sheriffs or whatever that are have been uh, tied up and what they're like, yeah, the only way to do this window washing stuff. And there's a shot like pans over to the rope, yes. all the ropes and stuff. I'm like, Holy shit. How is he going to rig this? Yes. I wouldn't know the first thing about do- exactly. like, doing this. It's not like a scaffold where you see like window washers on scaffolds that have like an automated system that goes exactly. Up and down. They press the button and they go up and down and they wash the wind. No, this is a thing you actually sit on. It's a pulley system that you have to hoist yourself up on. It's like he's lifting his own body weight. It first of all, just rigging the because he walk, he's already out there like hooking it up. And I'm like, was the system already in place? And he just had to attach an, uh, one other rope and the seat that he's sitting on. And because this is way too convenient. And now this building is like it looks like it's 80 stories high. Yeah, I don't know what was his plan exactly. Yeah, that was his best way to get in, which was not a way to get in at that point. Right. So then. So Danny goes into the building, he sees his wife, or soon-to-be ex-wife, up on the elevator. He's got to go up in the elevator with her, and now they're about 10 floors up, and he shows that he has the coke so they could do the exchange, and double-cross. Julio's goes to shoot them. They both duck down. Okay, fine, they miss. They're, he's shooting with Uzis over 200 yards. Those things aren't very accurate, so that's a, he sprays and misses. But then Danny gets up. With his gun, which I think is also an Uzi too, and shoots Correct. and shoots the guard and totally misses Julio. Totally the guard miss- is standing directly next to Julio. Yes. Danny is a crack shot, like a pinpoint, like like sharpshooter in the sequence. He sits up and with like not even like a spray of bullets. It's like one shot out of an automatic weapon, submachine gun, whatever, nails that thug. Yes. Like, a distance so he of, is a good shot. Yeah, but. a distance of almost 200 yards. Yeah, no, sorry. Right. Keep going, man. Keep going. All right, so now we have Ray on the top of the building, seeing that the gunfight is going on, pulls out his Uzi, shoots a hole into the glass of the roof, and drops down. He's a sitting duck. Oh, yeah. It's not thought through. Exactly. What What is he going to do? You're with Uzi. So was, you're not going to hit anything. What was your plan? Horrible. How are you going to get? Like, now you're, har- you're in a harness. You're strapped into this thing. Were you planning on, like, 
swinging like back and forth and just spraying bullets everywhere and taking everybody out. Like what, how, cause he all of a sudden descends all the way down. Once he's inside, he's descending down this window washing rig thing, these ropes. And then he, he like stops short. And meanwhile, their backup has arrived. The other, the two cops yes. that we so, were introduced to earlier in the film is undercover police officers. What's Montoya, that? yeah, Montoya yeah. and Sigliano. Which, yeah, that's my right. next. My, that's my next thing. So now they've shown up, Jason. How did they know where the hell to go? How did they know to go there? Because it's very purposeful on behalf of Ray and Danny. In the scene previous to this, they are at a bar waiting for a call from Julio. Right? Is that yes? Where to meet? Set up yeah, the meet spot and. But they do not tell the other two cops. They're the guys that they're not big fans of. The younger two cops. They're supposed to be trained. Right. They're replacements. Right. And they actually knock them out. The two, their two trainees, the two other cops, before they leave to go into this final sequence, this final scene. So these two cops have no clue, no idea where Ray and Danny are, but magically show up on the scene. Guns a blazing. Yeah. How the hell would they know? Where they they just come in guns and blame. They know who, where everyone is and just start shooting. Which then comes to my, my next issue. Go ahead. They run out of ammo almost immediately. Not immediately, but they run out of bullets. Yeah. They, they're like ducked down and they're getting, they're under a hail of gunfire by all these other guys with their machine guns, with their Uzis. And then they are trying to reload their weapons. They're, they're searching their person, their individual person. They're looking for bullets and they're, what kind of cops are these guys? They only brought enough. They, obviously, they knew they were walking to a gunfight because they come in just, you know, oh, guns yeah. a blazing. And then after one round of whatever, you know, six bullets, they're, they're out and that's it. Like, did you not bring additional ammo? Was exactly. This, did anybody think this through, Bill? I don't know. I mean, so what did they think they were going into? They should have had more gun, yeah. more bullets. I don't know. Yeah, that last scene is, no, if I was a screenwriting class. It's a hot mess. And then they, yeah, God. And then they managed to shoot Julio, but only, but he's still alive. And then Julio manages to spray another round of bullets and hits both oh. of them. Like, and then, yeah. Well, well, here's the thing, too. He, he gets shot. They think he's dead. And then he has to scream and announce he's still alive. You could have took them all out right there. Yeah. You could have just been talking like, hey, <laughs> look, we, we did it, guys. And then bop, 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 bop. four of them are dead. End this of movie. Scene has Julio wins. He becomes the kingpin of Chicago. This scene is one giant piece of Swiss cheese. It's hilarious, man. Because, but, and then it's, what's that? But I did love the shot of Julio dead going down the escalator. Right. That was right. a cool yeah. shot. And then his that foot's cool just shot. doing the thump, 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 thump. Yeah. That yeah. was cool. I, uh, I will give him that one. That That's a cool shot. But immediately following that, the movie is over in the next 30 seconds. Yes. Like, that's it. There's barely any, like, other resolution. They basically, do, yeah, they just basically say, we're not retiring. Let's hope there's a sequel. Oh, oh, it's it's wrapped up immediately. They kind of joke with each other. Oh, I got shot. Hey, you know, and, and, uh, then that's my other thing about this, that Anna, his soon-to-be ex-wife, or who, who we don't even know where the pro they're at in their divorce process, 
Anna forgets about her soon-to-be dentist husband really quick. She's just like, she's all of a sudden kissing Danny and they're back together now, just like that. That's funny because that was one of my questions for later. So I'll just ask now. So how long do you think Anna and Danny stay together before they split for good? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it one month. Oh, all right. I was going to give him at least six. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think what's that line from the movie speed. There's that scene at the end of Sandra. Oh yes. That to uh, Keanu Reeves, Mm -hmm. you know, relationships formed under traumatic circumstances don't last very long. I'm paraphrasing big time, but something along those lines. And that's the kind of thing here is that's what I was thinking. I was like, Nope. Emotions yeah. are running high. I'm thinking the fallout of the wedding and all that, that, that kind of pushes it a little bit longer than it should. Um, yeah. She needs somewhere to stay. And then, yeah, then she just realizes he's just going to go back to the same antics and why did I do this? And he's going to come home back from that bar, which how cool is it to have a bar that they'll just close down for you and just buddy, buddy with the bartender. And I was like, Oh man, that's, that's kind of awesome. Oh Yeah. Oh, and then um, a shout out because uh, we said about the other uh, officers, Montoya and Sigliano, which was uh, played by Stephen Bauer and uh, John Grease. Um, we never yep. mentioned them earlier on, but Stephen Bauer, of course, is known for Scarface. And then uh, John Grease. Yeah, you actually, that's my hey, it's that actor. That oh, is took, it? Because, yeah, only because, and I'll, we'll go right into our next segment. It's Let's do it. Segment. Okay. So, hey, it's perfect that actor. Segue. Yep. Hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, um, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. And I already gave away Jason's, but Jason, go ahead. So, yeah, this is not his debut or anything, but it's just this is an actor where, it's, again, you just you see this man or woman in this role and you're like, who? I've seen this person a million times in a million different movies. And Jonathan Grease or John Greasy's credit differently for different films is one of those actors where you're just like, ah, it's that guy. He's been in so much. And I swear, Bill, every time I see him, I just think Laszlo for real. Yes, me too. That's all I can think of every time I see him. And he's still working today and he's great. He's great. He's great in everything he's been in. But yeah, one of his other big claims to fame is uncle Rico in Napoleon dynamite, but Laszlo living in the closet in Val Kilmer's closet and real genius. And then he's got the whole underground thing going on. We, by the way, let's that's going on the list. Real genius, top oh, secret, yeah. but real genius is a must love, for this podcast. Love, love, is, uh, love, real genius. Can't get enough. And nope. Jonathan Grease has a good solid role in that as Laszlo. Yes. But here he uh, plays the role of detective Tony Montoya. Funny enough, Tony Montoya, I'm going, wait a minute. Isn't that, Pacino's isn't that his name in Scarface? No, it's Tony Montana in Scarface. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh yeah, guess who else is in Scarface? Stephen Barrow. who <laughs> was Jonathan Creese's partner in Running Scared. So I uh, I, I actually thing. met Stephen Bauer once. Oh, I think you I yeah. forgot that you had you told this story for. Tell what how did how did you meet him? It was at a screening, it was a sneak preview for Pulp Fiction. And he was there and it was one of those, I kept staring at him because I'm like, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. I know. It took me forever to figure out who it was. And I, I didn't even put running scared together. 
someone with me eventually was like, no, it's Scarface. I'm like, holy crap. So just, you know, did the quick, like big fan, even though I couldn't remember anything was in except for Scarface. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was really cool. That's good to know. And yeah, he's a little bit unrecognizable in this film because he's got the, all the scruff. I mean, he's got, Oh yeah. Yeah. Gear. I had no idea. It took me a minute to recognize him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Both of them. I did not realize who they were at first until you look at the credits. You're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I've seen these guys before. So who's it? Who who do you have as uh Hey, it's that actor. Um, okay. So my, Hey, it's that actor. Um, the actor's name is Dan Kalfa and he played the lawyer who was taking care of aunt Rose's estate and follows uh, Ray Hughes oh, into the ladies sure. room to present um, him the paperwork, you know, thinking yeah. that Ray was Constanza. So he was in a bunch of 80s films, uh, but the big role that if you're a horror fan, um, and especially a fan of the zombie genre, he was Ernie the Mortician um, at the Resurrection Cemetery in Return of the Living Dead. And he's got the white slick back hair, and um, it's probably it's probably his biggest role that he's known for. And um, if you haven't seen Return of the Living Dead, you find out, in the movie that uh, Night of the Living Dead really happened. And there's this storage facility that's keeping the zombie bodies in. And the two guys are working there accidentally open one of them and they get sprayed with the chemical gas and then they start becoming zombies, but they want to take the dead bodies to uh, cremate them so they can get rid of all the evidence. But at this point, the gas is spread into the cemetery and all the bodies start coming back to, to life. And, uh, yeah, Jen Kafka, he's the mortician that, that works in the cemetery when all this is going on. He's the mortician. So that was his big role. And unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, if you're a horror fan, you definitely know who Jen uh, Kafka is from Return of the Living Dead. So that's my, hey, it's that actor. I'm going to give a quick shout out also to uh, Larry Hankin, who plays Ace, who is the one that. Uh, yes, he was. He was. Um, he was on my list. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's popped up everywhere. Tall, lanky gentleman, has a very distinct look. Character actor, great. Had a reoccurring role on Friends. I believe he's the uh, custodian, the building custodian or maintenance guy in Friends. Uh, oh, yeah, he has another building. So that's one. And then finally, for this category of, hey, it's that actor, I have to give a shout out to my man, Al Leong, who is credited as henchman. Yes. Forgot. Yes. Another one. Here he is. And he's going to pop up numerous times on this podcast. Okay. Aliong, who is one of the, again, I just, you know, Die Hard is like my favorite role of this when he's just chewing on that candy bar. All right. So we have to keep account of every time we mention him. So this is the second time already. This is the second time. First time I mentioned him was in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. All right. So this is the second time. Gang members. Yeah. So maybe 10 years from now, when we finally decide to retire from this podcast. It might be 800 times we've mentioned him. He is in everything in the 80s. Any action movie, you will hear his name. Good stuff. All right. uh, Moving on to facts and trivia. Jason, you got anything for facts and trivia? Yeah, only a few things. Um, One being that the apartment that Snake, uh, Joe Pantoliano, uh, lives in during the briefcase scene, beginning of the film, it's the same apartment building that Harrison Ford as Dr. Richard Kimball hides out in the basement apartment in The Fugitive. I saw that too. I almost wanted to pop in The Fugitive just to see if it, if it really was the same building. I haven't done it yet, though, but I might do it just to, to see if that's right. 
Yeah, another good Chicago movie. I forgot that. The, yeah. Because I think they also said, too, that the building um, that they find Julio in, it was the same building that they used for Child's Play. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of cool, too. I was like, yeah. wow. That is a cool-looking building. It does remind me of the, um, what's the building for Blade Runner? The Ray Bradbury? Yes. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah. It's got a creepy feel to it. Mm-hmm. It does look cool, though. Yeah. Again, it's another structure where you walk in and you're like, okay, tailor-made for action sequence yes how do we choreograph something within the constructs of this building yeah that is a pretty cool building so this was fun because i brought up the fact like is that what the the two muggers in that alley uh in that sequence we broke down earlier in the film where it's i was like what is that is that guy what kind of gun is that guy well is that actually a gun but this this cleared it up for me uh the two muggers who attempt to rob Ray and Danny are such amateurs that if you really pay close attention to the tall thug in the black leather jacket, his pistol is really a piece of wood with a metal rod held in place by electrical tape. Hilarious. But that's really all I had, man. There was a, there was a few other things, but not quite of note to me, at least. But that's just my personal taste. I don't know if you had any of that. So they did shoot this film in December, and supposedly it was so cold that year that uh, four crew members actually ended up being treated for hypothermia. Oh. And they had issues throughout filming with the equipment freezing. They were saying that was one of the coldest Decembers on record. Yep. The stunt that we just killed on earlier with the uh, window washer. So that was actually performed by the window washer himself of that <laughs> building because no stunt person wanted to perform that stunt. They thought it was too dangerous and they somehow wow. talked the window washer into doing that. And then uh, the last fact and trivia because I think one of the things that was very jarring about the movie was seeing Billy Crystal in a beard. So the, the backstory behind that is when Peter Himes decided to direct this film, he asked for Billy Crystal to be in this movie, as we mentioned earlier. And the studio right. was like, no. So the studio actually asked Billy Crystal to fly in to screen test for this film. And Peter Himes asked Billy Crystal not to shave to look scruffy yeah and when he screen tested it they both liked that beard so much they decided to keep it for the movie so that's why he has that beard he had to do it for the screen test that way to make Uh him look coppish right yeah Yeah, a little more rugged yep that's uh my my facts and trivia good stuff so moving on box office so this movie opened uh june 27th 1986 and like i said earlier did so 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 it grossed uh 38.5 million domestically um, debuted at number five behind such films as Karate Kid 2, Back to School, which I saw in the theater, Legal Eagles, and Ruthless People. So it never got by above number five at the box office, but at the end of the year, it did gross better than such movies as The Fly, The Money Pit, Hoosiers, and Raw Deal. I never would have thought that. Huh. Yeah. So then uh, moving on to the reviews. So, of course, you know, when growing up in the 80s, there was nothing more exciting than catching at the movies on PBS to hear the reviews from Cisco and Ebert. Uh, their review for Running Scared was split. Ebert gave it a thumbs up because of the chemistry between Heinz and Crystal. Yeah. While Siskel gave it a thumbs down, stating he wanted more from Crystal and compared it too much to 48 Hours and thought 48 Hours was a way better movie. Hmm. But it's funny, too, because one of the things they did talk about was the L scene and why they didn't like it. And Roger Ebert specifically pointed out, he's like, 
you have these cars going on the L. Why don't you do like a POV shot from the street? Like wa- like people actually watching the cars go across the L. Oh, sure. Or the classic shot of every time I was driving by the station that, you know, someone's sitting in the station and like, oh my yeah. God, there's, a, there's cars going by. And I was like, oh yeah, that's actually a good point. I mean, we kind of make fun of that because they always do that and they kind of make it cheesy. But if, maybe if you did it in a serious tone where like everyone just kind of gets up and looks and watches the cars go down. Yeah. That might have worked. But like I said, if they were, that might have been hard to choreograph if the cars weren't really going that fast. So everyone had to play act slower. Yeah. The bystanders watching, you know, because they're always ex- watching for a train to come and watching the train leave, et cetera, to have. You could do the opposite of having, you know, somebody yeah, reading a newspaper and not having any reaction at all, which could have a comedic effect. Exactly. Because you figure you're on there every notice you're on there every day waiting for an L. And then all of a sudden, right. what would your reaction be if you saw two cars flying by? Yeah. Yeah. So that made sense. All right. So uh, moving on to final thoughts, Jason, what do you got for final thoughts? for running scared. Uh, Gregory Hines, just again, big fan, uh, died way too young liver cancer, the age of 57, just, uh, yeah, uh, have a lot of respect for him as an all around performer and artist shout out to Dan Hedaya, who is, you know, played the police captain again, mentioned played two different characters on Miami vice, but, uh, gosh, he's still doing it at, uh, almost 81 years old. I realized watching this film bill and this is something that you see in a lot of eighties movies. I'm just a fan and absolute sucker for smoky dim lit, police precincts there's just a thing about 80s movies whether and even you see it even in in the apartment that danny costanza lives in billy crystal's character when that scene between him and his ex-wife anna it's just there's a look about it it's a lighting thing where it's as if there were crew members in there smoking cigarettes 10 minutes before and then they left and the smoke has just kind of created a haze and it's just it creates a, a a strange romantic feeling for me and it's uh it's a look maybe it's the film quality as well but something i've very green liked yeah 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 for sure um i liked there's a couple different moments in this film that i really like that where film has a lot of a lot of comedy obviously it's an action comedy but there are moments that i think were heartfelt too and especially when uh, when Danny and Ray find out that the the guy that had jumped off the roof of the building that happens in this movie, you know, they come upon the scene after he's, you know, jumped and they see the deceased and they find out that the jumper was a cop. Um, they immediately change their tone and become very serious because cops always uh, respect other cops. And there's a moment at the end that's, you know, where Danny comes back over to Ray's loft and Ray's in the middle of uh, a love session with his girlfriend interrupts and says, they've got Anna. He's got Anna. And you just see Gregory Hines get very serious in that moment. And it just kind of, the tone changes quickly, but it works. They find that nice balance. I think that's again, a kind of a, a credit to the chemistry between Crystal and Hines in this movie is that they just really played off each other. Well, it was always, it felt genuine, I guess is what I'm trying to say here is that, not only could they find the comedy and everything, uh, but they had a certain, the chemistry provided a certain realism too in the, the relationship. So would, when the tone needed to be serious, they could be serious. And that worked just as well as the comedy. So I appreciated it in, the, in that in uh, this rewatch. 
I still, yeah, strange that I missed that cold, dreary slush field Chicago. It's funny that they did have to use foam as snow. Yeah. Uh, but it's such a real thing. You would, you would think Chicago would get snow uh, and it does get plenty of snow. But for a lot of the time, it's just plain dreary. It's just a lot of slush and it's just wet and gray and cold, which they, I thought, also captured pretty well. That building at the end for the final sequence is the state of Illinois Center. Uh, it is actually now called the James R. Thompson Center, uh, but it does house offices of the Illinois state government. And uh, another final thought I had uh, was that I'd love the uh, freeze frame ending. Love the old freeze frame uh, yep. to, to wrap it up. A couple of quotes I also liked here was, uh, this is that cool transition when they are about to go on their forced vacation and they're in a bar and you think they're still in Chicago. Uh, Billy Crystal says, uh, the only thing worse than dying young is dying young with money in the bank. Love that line. Anna has a great quote, his ex-wife, uh, when he, she says, uh, don't make me laugh. I don't want to laugh. It's kind of a subtler moment. Uh, I just like that line. And she says that because obviously we know Billy Crystal, but his character also is a bit of a comedian. And uh, she genuinely says, don't make me laugh. I don't want to laugh. And uh, yeah, that's all I got for, you know, I've got some deep questions uh, for you here, but uh, as far as final thoughts go, still very entertaining. Just, you know, this is just a fun comedy action film. It was fun revisiting it. It has plenty of holes, you know, but the scenes that work, work really well. And uh, if anything, the chemistry between Crystal and Heinz that really sells the whole thing. So. Oh yeah, and I, and I totally agree. The reason to go see this film if you've not seen it is the chemistry between Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. It's yeah. just an amazing pairing. It's a pairing you would never expect to see on film, and it just works great. And like I said in the beginning, it's a crime that they never found a script to make a sequel because it's so believable that these are best friends for the past sixteen years as partners, yeah. and they would take a bullet for one another. They'll retire together and start this new business together. I, I believed all that. Do I believe they were really good cops? Maybe <laughs> not so much. Well, that was yeah, one of the questions. But I, <laughs> I certainly believe that these guys have gone through thick and thin together, spent time with each other's families, and did all that. And that is the selling point of the film. It's yeah. the the two names on top of the poster, Gregory Hines, Billy Crystal. That's why you want to see the film. I know we killed the whole final scene and, and stuff like that, but I still love it. I still love it. It's and like I said, that the, the one scene with the finger still made me laugh. The scene with Snake getting punched in the face still made me laugh. There's still plenty of other lines in there that are hilarious. Watch it. It's yeah, fun. Absolutely. It's, like I said, you're not going for the story, not for the action, whatever. It's more for the comedy. Good stuff, man. So you had some questions? I did. What My first one was, are Danny and Ray good cops? You know, it's kind of funny because I wish they explored this a little bit better because there's a couple of scenes where they interplay with like street officers and they're always giving them a hard time. You know, with the jumper, they're like, are you the ones that did this kind of thing? Or there was even the funny scene where they call for the backup and then the whole, the whole squad comes. So, you know, they have a reputation throughout the police force. Right. But I could never tell, is it, is it a good reputation or is it a bad reputation? Right. Right. 
And then just the way, you know, the captain always treats them. I wasn't sure too. It's like, like he's upset that they're retiring, but in a way he's always kind of putting them down for the way that they do things. So is it one of those, yeah, they get the job done, but I hate the way they get the job done. Right. It's yeah. So I wasn't sure, like, are they good cops or are they just, I don't know. I, I, I really can't put my finger on it. Yeah. You know, you, and I also asked the question, are the the rookies good cops too? The ones that were undercover cops and then decided to transfer. They were already cops. They decided to transfer. They were DEA. That's the thing is like, so they went from being undercover DEA agents and decided to join the Chicago PD. Yeah. That's, that would be a step down, wouldn't it? I think so. Yeah. That confused me. But first of all, when they pick up Snake and they're kind of bending the rules a little bit with him, there's where you kind of get an example of their quote-unquote unorthodox methods. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I see. They're just kind of clever in how they kind of manipulate the letter of the law here a little bit to get the necessary result. But you don't see that a lot otherwise. Otherwise, you just see them being silly, kind of goofy and doing their little banter thing. Because when the thugs approach them in the alley, they kind of they actually let the thugs get away for a minute. Right. And then uh, they're shooting at the windshield and they kind of get lucky in that scenario. We talked about, yeah, the whole final sequence. Other than that, they end up pantsless in one sequence and yep. they're running around in their long underwear also, Ray gets a subpoena for excess force. Right. I want them to be good cops. I just wish I agree with it. If we just went solely on what we see in the film, they're terrible cops. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're bad cops. They're not good at their job. But uh, I think it's supposed to be understood what it takes to get the job done. And they're well-intentioned. And yes, they kind of bend the rules. That's kind of, and they just are lovable anyway. So that was, those were a couple of questions. Here's a couple more for you. Go ahead. What's the last good cop comedy that you saw? Oh my God. Buddy cop movie. Last good one I saw. Wow. I am drawing a blank. Yeah, it's it's tough. That's the thing is they don't they don't make them anymore. If no. I I mean they do but they don't. They're out there. It's just hard to think of the cuz I was trying to rack my brain without going way back, you know, a good buddy cop movie or even a buddy cop comedy, you know. Cuz even the last comedy. couple I've seen I didn't like. And the, <laughs> and the only thing only thing I can think of was was a pair of cops that made me laugh a lot was super bad with the Bill Hader and right. Yeah. See, I'm thinking like all out comedies as well. There was one that came out a handful of years ago called let's be cops where it's two guys impersonating oh, cops. Yeah. I didn't like that one. Okay. See, I thought that was pretty amusing. It's ridiculous. It does. I mean, it, you know, it's way over the top, but I thought it was amusing. Kevin Smith's cop out with Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan, not a good movie. But it has moments. Actually, it's worth watching that movie for Sean William Scott. He's hilarious in it. Uh, the last couple of years, there's a movie called, which I thought was pretty funny. Didn't really show up on the radar for a lot of people called Stuber, which was Dave Bautista as the cop. Oh, yeah. 
who kind of takes over the Uber. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, that's not like a, they're not both cops. It's an Uber driver. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cop, but it's still kind of a buddy. They have to work together uh, scenario. And thought it was amusing, but it's not, I'm not going to run out and buy the film. It's not a classic. It's not like no. a lethal weapon or, Cause then I go then, you know, to the, you know, the follow up question is, is what's your favorite buddy cop movie is going to probably touch upon the movies we've already mentioned in this podcast already. No, oh, you know, but it's uh, lethal weapon hands down. Yeah. I can care less about the sequels. I know a lot of people like two. I'm not a, that big of a fan of two. I'm okay with it, but lethal weapon. I love it's one of my See, I'm a fan of both. Yeah, I, I go back and forth. I think it, it, presently I'm, I agree with you. Lethal Weapon is still uh, number one. I was going to put Tango and Cash up there, but <laughs> that's kind of... It'll be interesting yeah. if we do a Tango and Cash podcast to go back and watch that to see if I like that one as much as I did when I first saw it. I'm, I'm thinking that one's not going to age well, to be honest. Tango Cash. Tango Cash. Oh yeah, no. I've watched it. I've watched, tried watching part of it recently. It does not hold up at all. It's okay. Terrible. It's Lethal awful. Weapon's still amazing. I don't care. It's it's so bad. It's good though. You know. Okay. Like it's mm-hmm. it's that kind of movie. Uh, Lethal Weapons hold up. I mean, I even I even have to like shoehorn Die Hard in there only because I want you know like as if McLean and uh, Al are you know even though he's just talking to him on the the walkie the whole time they're gotcha. still kind of like buddy cops that's how i'm gonna to squeeze that in there right. uh i'll give you you can cheat. talk about but what's that i'll give you your cheat yeah <laughs> i appreciate it uh movies like stakeout oh stakeout's a good one i forgot about stakeout that keeps getting mentioned in podcasts i've been listening to i'm like yeah that's something we got to revisit uh point Not break stakeout too right <laughs> yeah keanu reeves and gary Busey. point break i was even Going to some strange ones like Red Heat. Do you remember that one with Schwarzenegger and Belushi? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Russian. Yeah, he was the uh, Schwarzenegger played a Russian. I, here's one I'm throwing in there. How about this This one? Alien Nation. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Something. James Conn and Mandy Patinkin. You got it. Nailed it. Yeah. So someone thinking, here's one that's, they're not both cops, but it is a buddy film that I adore is uh, Midnight Run. Oh, yeah. Okay. De Niro and Charles Grodin. So that's just to name a few like that are on my, like, I'm trying to go over like my favorite, like buddy movies, you know? Yeah, man. That's really, man. It's hard. I know. Cause I'm like, I'm like, leave the weapon. That's only a year. It's only a year later. I'm like, you're telling me nothing since 1987 beats that? Well, seven. Oh, that's a good one too. If you, I mean, I know because when you, I you guess don't when think you, of it as a buddy cop, no, exactly. Yeah, because like another movie I think of where it's cop partners would be The French Connection mm-hmm. with Gene Hackman and Roy Schneider, but it's a serious drama, so I don't really think of it as buddy cop. I'm just like they're partners, buddy cop, even Lethal Weapons a little skews a little bit on the buddy cop thing because it is kind of serious, but there is some humor in it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was trying to think of any kind of detective yeah. thrillers, any like leading, like my favorite leading actors over the years, and like whether it be Harrison Ford. Then I went to Michael Douglas, and I was even thinking like Black Rain with Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia. So, yeah. Even though Andy Garcia gets beheaded early in the film. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess if you said like cop duos, then yeah, I even came up with uh, the hard way. Uh, 
Oh my god, I don't man. <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Yes. James Woods. Oh my god. I remember seeing that one in the theater, and that's probably the last time I saw that one. Uh-huh. That was a that was a one and done. How about the rookie, Clint Eastwood and Charlie Sheen? Yes. Oh my god, there's mm. yeah. Wow. Uh, there's here's a film I came up with too that uh I know we're going long here, but uh that's okay. That, uh, I really like the relationship within this is uh, end of watch with Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. Yes. That is a great one. Yeah. It's a good movie. Oh, I know my wife hated that one because of the way it ended. It's rough. It's yes. rough. No, that, yeah, that is a good one, but they're cops that would classify. Yeah. yeah. Something to ponder. We'll have to continue. We're going to have to do a whole, I think we'll have to do like maybe just an entire podcast just on buddy cop movies, you know? Yeah. That might be good. We might have to Could be fun. Do a little off-topic stuff at some point. All right. Did you have any other questions? Nope. That's all I got, man. Okay. I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Join us again next week as we discuss the 1984 romantic comedy Splash starring Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for your support. Good night, world. Turner and Hooch. How about that for a buddy cop? Not a fan of Turner and Hooch. (laughs) And now, gambling terms. Snake eyes. Rolling ones with a pair of dice. Double down. Doubling the original bet for one more card. Bad beat. When your strong hand gets beat. Illegal gambling can put you at risk. Protect our communities. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER.